Kaden Kopiar acknowledges the traditional owners of the land that this podcast was recorded and produced on, the Wurundjeri and Bunurong peoples of the East Kulin Nations. We pay our respect to their elders past, present and emerging, and we extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. Welcome to the Press Office with Caden Copiar, the podcast that gives you an exclusive and unfiltered look behind the scenes of the Australian media landscape and public relations industry. I'm your host, Marissa Jane, and if you are dreaming of a career in public relations, are an aspiring journalist, or simply just obsessed with all things digital and traditional media, then this is the podcast for you. Today on the Press Office with Caden Co. PR, we chat to a name that is synonymous with the Melbourne events industry, none other than Bruce Keyboard. Bruce is the founder of The Big Group, which is no ordinary catering and events company, as they are constantly at the forefront of creating unforgettable experiences. Trust me, you really know when you go to an event that has been touched by The Big Group. We were really excited for this chat today because during COVID, Bruce really became a spokesperson for those struggling in the hospitality and event sectors. And like us, he couldn't be more excited for big events to be back in the country, like today's Lexus Melbourne Cup. We chat about all this and more, so let's get on to the interview. Welcome, Bruce, to the press office with Caden Co. PR. Now, you are actually the second keyboard to appear on the show. I've previously interviewed your daughter, Chessie. So firstly, a very warm welcome. Well, it's great to see you, Marissa. And um, I hope not to disappoint because we're two peas from a pod, but the pods are kind of different. So um, I did listen to Chessie's podcast with you and I learned more about her in that period of time than I had in the 28 years prior. So it was wonderful. She's certainly a character. It was such a joy interviewing her and I'm sure I will have just as much fun chatting to you. Now, your name is really synonymous with the Melbourne event scene. However, I would love for you to control your own narrative and I'm going to throw it over to you to introduce yourself, what you do and how you got to where you are today. Well, that's kind of funny story. Um, When I was about 18 and had finished year 12, my dream was to be an international diplomat. And so I thought I'd swan around the world, you know, hosting parties at the Paris Embassy and, you know, enabling world peace, basically. And um, I needed law in order to do uh, diplomacy. And I was too dumb and I didn't get the mark. So I was sort of a bit devastated about that. So I ended up in the sort of world of suburban diplomacy, which was hospitality. And I've sort of been there ever since. And whilst some of my life is about swanning around the world, hosting fabulous parties, um, I've sort of become an international diplomat by default. So our business is the big group and we are Melbourne-based international events agency. Um, And we sort of work in different pillars within the events hospitality sector. Um, We do have restaurants, bars, things like that. Um, But primarily we're in the event space. So things like Melbourne Cup, Um, The Australian Open, um, you know, we're going into Caulfield Cup next week, Cox Plate. So major eventing is a big part of our business. Um, Contract and corporate catering is a lot of our industry that not many people know the field we're in. And then we sort of work within the private wealth sector, orchestrating, you know, Australia's sort of pretty lavish parties. 
And then the other part of our brand is sort of brand activation. So that's our sort of design and styling and creative department where we're working with brands, bringing their, you know, their, them to life in various forms, but usually with a connection to hospitality. So yeah, lots of, lots of balls in the air. You sound like a very busy man, but what made you initially start the big group over 30 years ago now? Well, that's, that's a good one. I, I normally find when people end up in a field, it usually has a lot to do with their DNA. And I think that's very um, impinged on their childhood. And, um, and so those subconscious decisions, we often don't realise why um, we've ended up. And so I was sort of the last child of three. And, um, you know, it's a pretty exciting environment, but I was sort of the people pleaser. So my role was really to sort of keep the family on um, an even keel. And so I think that uh, natural need and ability to want people to be pleased and to be looked after transferred into my work life. So hospitality is very much about looking after guests, you know, as you would in your own home. And, um, and so that's sort of part of why I think I ended up in hospitality. On the sidebar of it, I love people. Um, I love the circus aspect of our life and our work. Um, you know, repetition I find very boring. So I like building businesses, creating them, and then sort of moving on to the next thing. So events is very much part of that. And then our more scalable businesses, I love, I love the initial part. I love bringing them together. But when it becomes purely operational, I sort of lose my zing um, for them. And there's people who are much better at, them, at that than me. It's funny. I started my career in events and I think I, w- I belonged there when I was a kid. My favorite day, it still is my favorite day of the year, was my birthday because I loved planning my birthday party and inviting all my friends over and making sure everyone was having a really great time. So I think it really does. There's little elements of your childhood, you're right, that kind of flow into your career and what you're meant to be when you grow up. Mm. Down to, though, I must say, I still, to this day, at 54, um, thinking of childhood birthday parties, still freak thinking no one's going to come to my party, you know, and it's like uh, every time, I mean, my 40th birthday had a thousand people for dinner and I was worried then no one was going to come. It's like, uh, hello, free food will come. So <laughs> we do have, we all have our hangups, but they are often our most important drivers for our success. I think that is a PR's biggest fear when hosting an event with a client is that no one is going to show up, but everyone always does show up. In, in your world, it's so hard wrangling influencers, celebrities, etc., to come to, especially commercial events, it's very hard. And the nuances of those have changed significantly since COVID. So I think the role of a PR and a comms team is very different. And I think it's harder, you know, people are going to less events, but they're going to more well curated events, and they're definitely smaller in scale. So yeah, the pressure's on your game. I would love your thoughts for a brand or a PR who's working with a brand. What do you need to create an amazing event that people will show up to and want to be at. Mm, I think it's a, it's a really fascinating thing because I always look at what's the ROI at the end of the day of any money spent. Um, you know, it's really about getting the right people in the right room and telling the right stories. So, but but in order to get there, you really need to have a deep DNA understanding of that brand. And and once you really know their aspirations and their goals as a as a master brand, and particularly then as a product sector, probably within a brand. So it might be Vuitton, but it might be their luggage section versus ready to wear, you know, understanding what um, is required from that aspect of the brand is really important. And then, you know, with, you know, your teams is then who's to come and what storytelling will they do? So um, I think sometimes we often just think about the machinations of 
the event between six till eight. And sometimes we forget why we're orchestrating it so that we get the correct outcomes. I think that's a great point. It's really coming back to the brand and then making sure the people that are invited are really aligned with those brand values as well, because then they actually want to be there. They're wanting to support that brand. Yeah. Authenticity is extremely important in this post-COVID world because before, you know, we'd all go to the opening of a you know, ladies high heeled shoe store or something. Now, I, I'm not into heels. So that's sort of not my thing. So, you know, I'm the wrong guest to be in the room, you know, you don't have to stuff the room with people for sake. So that event is better curated to people who just love heels, get rid of all the extras. Um, because I think they were saturating the industry and saturating the storytelling. Um, and because now everyone who's got a hand held phone um, and the ability to be on socials are almost editorial, you know, in their own right. We need to make sure that we've got the best consumers of storytelling, you know, sitting at those events. Exactly. Now, I can imagine over the lifespan of the big group that the company has really evolved over the years. And one thing that you did touch on before was COVID. And obviously that was a huge impact for the events industry. Were there any kind of key call-outs on how you made those events virtual and, you know, taking them from being in person to something else when we couldn't do anything? Yeah, well, it was fascinating because there was sort of, um, you know, it was a roller coaster ride that, you know, two, two and a half years, whatever it was. Um, and our first um, uh, fallback position was to go virtual and go virtual quick. So we worked with some fairly serious IT people globally to build um, a virtual stadium. So we built basically the MCG and then with avatars we built you know characters so that you could have up to 60,000 individual Marissas and Bruces and Chessies you know who could then customize their own um, you know avatar to be guests within a stadium watching a live event and you know it cost a bloody fortune to do it <laughs> which we called e-event was the name of the program and yet when it came down to it um, you know many months later almost a year later the the intake for people to go virtual with you know any scale of event really got lost and so I think what my learning was from COVID is that in real life events are more powerful now than they ever have been and you can see that by the uptake of events like um, the Grand Prix ticketing was through the roof live um, uh, concerts are out of control so people are probably spending a lot more time at home you know it might be a four three four three work week um, but when they go and have an experience, they want it to be really great. They want it to be heightened, but they want to be in a, a real environment. So virtual was the start play. And it's very handy because I'm looking at you right now virtually from my blue room, which is off the Dunnies at the Ormond Collective. Um, and we don't have to be together. And that's that's a positive for time and travel. But big picture, um, live events have never been stronger. So it's great. So do you think that the event industry has fully bounced back now? No, um, someone actually said exactly that to me yesterday. Oh, you've bounced back. And I sort of said, bounce back is a really great colloquialism and it's very positive and I'm a very positive person. But, you know, two years of virtually no revenue for everyone within our sector, um, you just don't bounce back. It's not what happens. Um, you know, the staffing shortages are real. Um, you know, the skill shift is real. Um, a lot of people were too scared to stay within this sector because they couldn't 
pay their mortgage or look after their kids. And so, um, you know, we lost a lot of really great people, including sole traders who, you know, might have made invitations or illustrators or designers. They, they left the sector. So that will take, you know, years for that to come back. Um, that said, it will be a new more resilient, um, you know, more determined industry that we come back to. And I think that that's a really positive thing. So, yeah, we're bouncing, but we're not bounced back. One of the positives that I saw from COVID from being a publicist was before all the lockdowns, there were so many events. We were doing events pretty much every night of the week and it got quite tiresome and you had the same people in the room, whereas now I feel like brands are quite strategic of what events they want to do. And then on the other hand, journalists and celebrities and influencers, they're more selective of what they want to attend and align with as well. I agree. And I think going back to the term before, I think we're going to end up with a more authentic industry. Now, you know, uh, our invitation book, you know, we used to be out five nights a week at four things a night, and it is exhausting. And you're not fully engaged when you go to that um, shoe shop opening, you know, you're sort of like, get me in and get me out. So people are being much more selective about what they will attend, especially within the, you know, when you start talking your proper A-list, your top CEOs, their, their home life and their family life is incredibly important after this, um, you know, hibernation that we had through COVID. So when they do go out, the expectation for the RRI of their time is very important. So I think brands are in a, a space where they can do less, but they have to do it really, really well. And I, I don't want to harp on about COVID for too much longer. You know, we don't want to talk about all that negativity. Let's hope that it's well and truly over. I think there was so much positivity out of it, though. Like the learnings, I think, are incredible. You know, and I think it's a once in a lifetime opportunity to, to, to reset. So I think it's a really good thing. And you kind of became this media spokesperson for the events industry during this time. How did that come about and why was it so important? important to you to speak up for the events industry? I think that that term, the events industry, was very um, confused uh, by government. And I think that was probably my most frustrating thing in the beginning. Um, We were sort of lumped into the restaurant bar sector and we're not the restaurant bar sector. We have very different drivers and we also have a very major um, alternate economic impact to society. So, um, you know, the event sector is really driving, I think it's nearly $38 billion nationally um, into the economy. We're the ones bringing people in from overseas, um, you know, 1,800, 2,000 people, you know, at a time for an event. We're filling the hotels and the ancillary triple-down effect is those guests will then go to bars and restaurants. Um, whereas the lens from government was very much about cafes, and you know what's going on in the restaurant, and so the, the the putting a line in the sand so that government could see that we were very much a different sector, and the impact of our work in three and four years' time is terribly important to the brand Victoria Major Events. Um, you know, not filling stadiums and not having the Melbourne, uh, sorry, the Grand Final in Victoria has a massive impact to our um, traders. So protecting that, educating that. Um, that sector about who we were and what we do was vital um, to me to make sure that our industry was heard. 
Um, and hopefully the output of that is that as we move forward, if we bounce the ball to bouncing back, um, that we start getting support in our sector for um, reskilling of our staff. We need to create an, a centre for excellence for training event professionals in Victoria. Um, I have a theory that Victoria should be as London is for a butler, um, you know, from an education point of view, and a hotelier is for Switzerland. Victoria should be a global centre of excellence within the events industry. So working with government to try to make things like that happen are terribly important once they understand who we are and what we do and what our economic impact is. So, yeah, it's important, I think. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, you just touched on the AFL Grand Final and, you know, of course it impacts everyone that was at the MCG and those event experiences, but it trickles out to the entirety of Melbourne, you know. Every venue had these beautiful events on and, you know, it was really nice to see after two years of not being able to experience that. Yeah, it was very joyful. I mean, we were so lucky that we had such a beautiful, beautiful day. And, yeah, you're seeing a live organism, you know, go there, right? The, the G's full of all the people. All the hotels are full because people have flown down. They're staying in Melbourne. After the match, they're outside at all the pubs, the bars and restaurants. Swan Street. People have gone and bought a jersey. Um, the security guy's standing out the front. The Ubers are busy. So this massive impact from this one singular event couple of blokes running around after a football has created this massive revenue stream and an industry um, that goes from hire to florist to caterers. So, um, yeah, it's very important to understand the impacts of what a, a little old event does. I have to ask, now you have been behind some absolutely magical events. Do you have any career highlights? It's funny. I, I it's, it's very... Difficult for me. I, I'm not good at looking back. I really like sort of looking forward. And everyone says, "What was your best event?" And there's just so many, you know. Like it's such a bizarre kind of thing because they're all uniquely different. Um, we've had the privilege of working um, in the uh, Middle East over the last 10 to 15 years, and some of the work that we've done there is absolutely incredible. You know, collaborating with you know, global orchestras and designers and um, you know international florists. You know, we're playing in a in a really big ballpark of um, some pretty incredible people so that's been a massive um, massive highlight for me watching um, something like the Melbourne Cup Carnival starting as a sort of a car park with cars to you know the various iterations of now you know it's a fully fledged sponsorship um, you know branding activation um, arena is kind of wonderful so there's been so many I, I like to look at each project individually for what it stands for and um, no, I've, I've had a very happy fun career because it's so uniquely different. One thing I, I had the pleasure of working with you on a few Lexus Melbourne Cups they were in lockdown so they had a, a few challenges but one thing that I was so impressed with was when the big group would present their event concept it would just be so magical where do you source your inspiration from? Oh, look, there's an amazing team in there um, led by Steph Delberto, who you know, our creative director. Steph and I have worked together for nearly for probably 15, nearly 20 years from her days with Amanda Henderson at Gloss all the way through. So we don't need to speak, which is quite a luxury. We can go, oh, oh, oh and we're sort of on the same page. Or she'll, she'll look at me with a sort of an arched eyebrow and I go, oh, my idea is really dumb. <laughs> and she'll come up with something beautiful. But we both have a clear understanding of the DNA of a brand 
and then fleshing that out and then trying to find um, joy, you know, and, and you used the word before, it is about magic. Like once we get too serious about the whole thing and once we don't take risks with a brand, and when I mean risks, I mean appropriate risk, you've got to play and dance and pleasure and delight your guests because there's two things going on. One is what's going on in the room um, and then the other is what's going to be shared. So, you know, manipulating the collaboration trail to make sure that the guests have had just the most amazing time and then that their storytelling's on point. So we're sort of dabbling with two things. So we, we you know, we're, we're playing with aesthetics, we're playing with mood, um, experience, environment, and then, of course, food and beverage. So there's lots of little nuances and it, it's fun. I can't wait to see what you guys pull out this Melbourne Cup. And looking forward, what are some of the big events? Obviously, we do have Melbourne Cup, but what are you looking forward to before we close off this year? Oh, we've got an amazing sort of season. I mean, for us, um, grand final is sort of the start of when I find that Melbourne reawakes. So literally, you know, that was a wonderful thing last week. We then go into Caulfield Cup, Cox Plate. So there's all racing Melbourne Cup, as you mentioned. We've got some really, really beautiful private commission work, which is always fun for us to dabble. You know, we, we, we talk about brands and we talk about corporate work, but um, what Steph and I was talking about, the personal brand part of it is is working with private clientele um, orchestrating some really special occasions. So there's some an amazing series of parties coming up there. And then we go into the Australian Open. Um, we have a beautiful event internationally um, in January. And then we go back into um, Grand Prix and off we go. So then by April, everyone quietens down. So it's it's a lovely season because we're looking forward. I mean, remembering one year ago today, we're all still locked down, whereas that lens is gone. So everyone's looking forward to the future and planning and doing good things. So no, the work's beautiful. I think everyone's just excited to be out and about. And I especially love the Australian Open now. I reckon that's one of the best events in the Melbourne calendar now. Yeah, I agree. I think the thing about them as an organisation, which I really respect a lot, is that they sort of came up with the platform that Every, they're going to sell the tickets to the tennis, right? There's only so many seats in that stadium. Everyone's going to come. The media rights are there. You know, that's a no-brainer. So how do they add value outside of the tennis? So they pretty much just forgot about the tennis and looked at how they could create a platform that gave great value to their um, their day pass guests. And I think they've done that incredibly well. Yes, they certainly have. Now, I like to ask all my guests this question. What does a typical day in the life look like for you? It's funny that you ask what a typical day in the life of Bruce Keeble looks like because my son said to me the other day, what did you do today, Dad? And I said, "Mm, let me think about it. I said, I got up and actually I almost need to go to my diary in order to do this correctly. So I said, "Um, yep, I woke up um, at 6.30. I drove to Melbourne because we were staying in Main Ridge. I went to the tra- I went to the PT with my trainer for an hour, and then I had a meeting about Melbourne Cup for the entertainment. Then I interviewed some nurses for my father. Then I had a meeting with Cartier. Then I went and had lunch with the Premier. Then after that, I had a meeting with a drag queen about a um, runway parade that we're doing. After that, I then had my next meeting, which was with the bride and groom for a big party. And then I had oh, then I had a meeting, a call with an agency out of Paris where we're doing a party for next year. And I said, then I had to go to a degustation dinner at seven o'clock, get dressed in that. And said, that was my day. And he was like, oh, 
my God. <laughs> so it's varied every, every single day. It's never the same. It's kind of fun. That That is a wild day. It does sound very interesting. I'm sure there were lots of little stories that came out of that. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny because at the back of your head all the time, there's 20 or 30 different projects running the whole time. And inside each project are multiple nuances from you know, the client, you know, expectations down to all the suppliers and the collaborators that we need to work with. So it's a, it is a funny old circus of a job. I'm sure there will be many people that will hear you speak and go, I want your job. Where should they start? Where should somebody start? It's so tricky because, as you know, Maurice, from, you know, being in your field, it, 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 it takes time, you know, and this is a really small town and a very small market. So there's, you know, and when we do international events, I always say it's really easy to, to sort Paris or to sort London because there's only four or five great people in any city. So, you know, finding, and I think my advice would be, is trying to find the best people in that city that you want to work with. Um, and, of course, for PR, obviously, every and be running to Kate and Co. And, you know, if it's events, you know, maybe they're coming to the Big Grip and multiple others who do a great job. But it's it, our industry is not brain surgery. And I think that's one of the really important things. We're not, um, we don't need a license to perform the duties that we do. So it's really about your aptitude. And, um, and so that links really for me to attitude. So the right people are always very successful in the big group family because, you know, they they know how to have fun, you know, and they can have a laugh at themselves, but they think outside the square and the box and they understand what true flexibility is all about. And that's about flexibility of thought and innovation and coming up with ideas and being in an environment where you're not scared to say, let's, I'm in a blue room, let's paint the, let's, let's paint this room blue or, you know, let's, let's, let's throw this idea across the table because it's only through great sort of brainstorming and taking personal risks, um, you know, if, if ideas that we come to the point where we're coming up with great stuff for our clients. And so you need to be able to challenge and be challenged, um, but you've got to be in a safe space to do that. So I think they're really important fundamentals to the personnel who work with us. I agree, especially that note around having a good attitude because, you know, you look at events, events are all about making somebody smile and making sure that everyone is having a good time. So you need to be having a good time too. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And the other thing to remember, which often people forget, is they are alive, right? It's not like... um, we've built a sofa or a, you know, a, a stagnant thing. An event is alive and, and people, you know, their mood and attitude, it changes all the way through. So, you know, we've got things that we can manipulate, speeches, music, ambiance, sight, smell, so many things that we can, um, you know, edit the mood. But if you haven't got the right people in the room, you haven't got the right event, you know, there's so many forces that either make, you know, magic or a disaster. Exactly that. Now, before you go, I have Five quick fire questions for you. Are you ready? I'm ready. Coffee or tea, and how do you take it? Uh, coffee, oat um, uh, uh, latte, and I cannot bear drinking out of glass, so only out of a ceramic china cup. Oh, that's good to know. I know it's weird. I know I do not like drinking out of glass, hot things out of glass. Mm, weird. Emails or phone calls? Uh, probably phone call, but I can't keep up with them, so I. Do a lot of email. What is your screen time? Way too much. And your most used app? Oh, hardly anything. 
Well, I mean, the thing I use the most is communication. So I'm text, WhatsApp, email, phone, nonstop. So, you know, I'm hopeless on apps. No, no. My last question for you, what is your typical day in media consumption? Uh, not enough. Actually, interesting. During COVID, I read every paper. And now I just said the other day to myself, I just I haven't been reading enough. So not enough. I'm too busy in my own world to be looking and learning about others. And that's not positive. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your time. It has been such a joy chatting to you. Great to chat to you too, Maurice. You stay well. Thank you for listening to The Press Office with Kate & Co PR. Please subscribe, rate and review via your favourite podcast app and please give us a follow, like and share on Instagram at Kate Co PR.